who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! If something could be like a little bit construed to be a vagina, she will point it out there's and make a really a will, big there's deal. A way. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that happens with foil packets for sure. <laughs> um, well, I had never thought about that before, and now I don't think I can ever not think of that. You're so. welcome. I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Diking out, diking out, diking out, diking out. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, your go to podcast for grill on grill action. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Melody Kamali, and today we're diking out with chef and author Julia Tertian about grilling. I'm personally fired up for this conversation. Wow, Melody, that pun was pro painful. <laughs> Carolyn, you charred me with that one. You charred me. <laughs> I really relish the opportunity enough um. to roast you. Okay. (laughs) Hey, how about you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts? Five stars, please, to counter any two-star reviews from listeners who say they are big fans but find us abrasive as of late. A year into a pandemic, uh, which is just a hypothetical example and not at all a real review that a real listener wrote with the headline, quote, queer liberal drama, end quote, because we can't imagine someone who loves the pod doing that. No, that feels abrasive. (laughs) Moving on. We'll start off with some happy news this week, which is that the Equality Act did pass in Congress, which gives the LGBTQ uh, community protections. So that's meant to include um, sexuality and gender in civil rights legislation to protect us from discrimination and things like housing and credit and employment and all that good stuff. So that's um, a very important thing. But because we can't have anything nice 
that also just led to it uh, being a another awful week for <laughs> the queer community on the internet because people decided to take to Twitter to be uh, transphobic. I need your dispatches from Twitter because, you know, I don't really touch the stuff. It's an awful place to be. I stayed off of it most of the week, but luckily I was there to catch a, a true ally to the trans community, and that is Oreo cookies. <laughs> that I did see. <laughs> you I saw did. it, but did you see it coming? Did you think Oreo's going to come in? Absolutely and not. And take a strong position, a bold position to take, and that is, they tweeted, quote, Trans people exist. End quote. Um, well, yeah. I don't think anybody was arguing that they don't exist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a parody account or something. It was the first thing, obviously, at the top of my feed when I logged on to Twitter.com, the webpage, because that's how I do it. Um, and it... That, that was it. It was. I really I thought... Like, what is happening? It was a part what of a is happening? joke. I mean, just trans people exist. Yes. <laughs> what else, Oreo? What else do you have for us? They said trans people exist. Have a blast in the comment section. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> it was basically just a lot of replies from trans people being like, thank you, Oreo. I did not exist until this moment. Uh, thank you for giving me permission to exist. <laughs> An ally. So weird. One thing that we keep talking about is the fact that our lesbian bars across the country, the few we have, are uh, in danger of closing down. And one of them announced that they did have to shut their doors, and that was the Toasted Walnut mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. And that was sad. Um, but our friends at the Lesbian Bar Project are still spreading the word and trying to get more attention on um what's happening and how it affects the community. Erica Rose and Alina Street were on NPR this week. And if you want to listen to the episode, you can go to NPR to the show A1 and give that a listen and you'll hear them talk about the Lesbian Bar Project. I tuned in to listen to my friends talk for about, I knew it'd be a 10 to 15 minute segment. They highlighted the, a lot of their mission we know and we can't stop talking about. But then after their segment, I, st I left the radio on and I had no idea Joe McDaniel, ah. of, formerly of Aloha, now of As You Are Bar, um, yeah. was on to, you know, delve into the issue deeper there was a gender studies professor in conversation with her too and one other gay male and they just discussed at length the importance of nightlife and queer spaces in our community and there were some compelling arguments um kind of challenging joe too and just people with different experiences coming together to discuss it like what like challenging the idea of whether or not these spaces are that important in today's ever evolving space literally which is why joe also spoke to the importance of as you are bar and moving into that digital space for now but i didn't realize um she would be actually trying to eventually after this make it a brick and mortar space as well 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was hoping for that. And it it is interesting. I think it might have been Erica who brought up that a lot of times people go to these bars when they're single and then they couple up, which lesbians love to do, mm-hmm. and get into their uh, long-term relationship, settle in, and then they stop going to these spaces. And that's part of my theory of why like the lesbian bars are more affected. I mean, I know there's talk about the the wage gap between men and women, but I I don't know. I'd be interested to see data on how much that actually affects the bars and I think it it might be more that women when they get together, they tend to to That's settle down and then, and then they don't go out as much anymore where gay guys, you know, they're say it. Say the word Say say the word that that advertising potential advertiser said to us on the phone. What are gay men? Oh. Um, I want to say hedonist, but that he, yeah. hedonist, <laughs> hedonistic. I believe this is why the straight to sponsor with, did um, call the straight uh, yeah. sponsor wanted to work with the lesbian podcast and not gay male podcast because what gay men are too hedonistic. Hedonistic. <laughs> I'll never get over that. <laughs> You know where I like to see my best hedonism? TikTok. Um, Yes. (laughs) Just kidding. It's an app that's heavily censored, but I do love the way we work around those censors and bring gay information. And some gay information I held on to from TikTok this week was a video in which you see Zendaya giving a Vanity Fair interview. Yeah, they like to do their 75-question interviews yes. where they rapid-fire questions at people, usually following them around. I know, and I love that. Maybe COVID. that's why I don't watch anymore. It was, you know, they follow yeah. you around your space, and it's very cute. But, yeah, now you're face-to-face on a Zoom. Anyways, maybe it was good that we were face-to-face. Like, we saw her whole face up in the camera for this because yes. she's asked a question. What is the quality you most like in a man? To which she replies... What do I like most in a person? How about that? And then she gives her answer about what she were to look for in a partner, it seems. She goes on yeah. about the importance of kindness mm-hmm. she looks for in a person, right? And then she gives her lovely answer. And the next question is, what quality do you most like in a woman? <laughs> and she pauses, recognizes what just happened, and kind of shrugs and says, well, I guess the same answer. And yeah. she just sort of elegantly, subtly, um, I'm going to say, I've been using the word signaled that she's queer. I'm not saying she's yeah. coming out. It's lovely to see. And I'm going to say important um, to even see that moment. Okay. She's sure. coming out. But it was just so cute and validated some listener suspicions, especially one who thought she saw her out at Pride. Yes. <laughs> what I liked about this is to stop normalizing the question and asking women, what do you look for most in a man? But then it was funny because the next question they were going to ask it about women as well. Uh, but they could have. Yeah, she would not just, have answered the question that way had she known maybe the next question. That that was the follow up. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't gotcha journalism. It was actually no, no, no. journalism trying to be a little more woke. and Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they could have just said, what quality do you most like in a person? In a person? Because why, why does the quality have to be? I mean, for me, there are different qualities that I like most 
in men versus women. So they should have asked right? women first, ladies first. Come. Yeah, well, like the quality that I like most in a man, I, I'm going to pose this to you too. So, so start thinking, but I'm going to volunteer the quality that I like most in a man is um, no pulse. <laughs> you didn't need to think at all. You gave. Thank you for giving me time to think while you had that ready to go. I am joking. That is one hundred percent a joke. No, the quality I like most in a man is uh, not a murderer. That's that's my honest answer. Yeah. What about you, Melody? Arms. Um. So, anyways, <laughs> I. I just was going through my camera roll, actually, and found the creepiest collection of photos. I used to take pictures of men's arms, Uber drivers, like I'd be in the back seat. Like, there's all these pictures of, like, this strange man, stranger's tattooed arm. I would just, like, just, how creepy is that? It's like my upskirt thing. It's like just I think you're a predator. Pic- yeah. yeah. Clearly. You're a pansexual Dangerous. predator. <laughs> It was the weirdest thing. It was just clearing out photos, just limbs. Just can we talk about this though? Like, what kind of arms <laughs> do you like? Limbs? What kind of arms do you like on a man? Because I like ones that are um, not too like that are muscular but slim. I think I understand that. Yeah, I don't like a bulked like Brandon Boyd from Incubus. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's a lesbian crush right there. Yes, that it is was. One hundred percent, my lesbian crush, Brandon Boyd. <laughs> yeah. yeah, couldn't tell you they had a big crush on him back. I did too, and that's kind of the deal. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. those arms, and that goes for women. I just like people's arms. Okay, while we're talking about men, I do feel like we need to get something out there. Sure, I am addicted to hurting my own feelings by googling my name and the <laughs> podcast and searching it into Twitter. Sometimes, okay, okay, uh, I love. The hurt, and I I don't do this, so I need you to yeah. let me know what's happening. You go on Twitter and actually use it, but what I do is just before we record every week, I'll kind of check out our reviews and I'll type diking out into Twitter just to see what's going on. And I yeah. am seeing some tweets about potentially yours or Sarah's. I'm not sure. Defense of Joss Whedon and oh, one hundred percent mine. Okay, one hundred percent mine. Yeah, and I feel like it is. This this an explanation is owed now, obviously. Oh, f- thank you so much for bringing it up because I I've thought about bringing it up the other day when it happened, and then it totally slipped my mind when we were preparing for last week's episode. But yes, oh, this should be addressed. Okay, so what I'm seeing is I think you defended him and yes. like shot on his then wife or yes. ex wife. I won't say that I shat on her. Okay, sorry. I said, That's not yeah. even like the language. I'm just bringing new language into it. <laughs> okay, I heard you were a massive bitch. Explain. <laughs> yeah, right. Sounds on brand. Well, I will definitely admit here that I I was wrong. And at the time, I, I mean, I would have to go back and listen, which I'm absolutely not going to do. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. at the time, uh, I thought, thought I was being cautious and left the door open to the possibility for sure. I always leave the door open to the possibility that a guy is a creep, right? I'm never going to shut that door and say there's no way that Joss Whedon uh, was a creep. What happened was his ex-wife like wrote this very public 
letter like ripping him apart and saying he's like a very bad person and he was obviously a very shitty husband and she's obviously and rightfully traumatized from that experience writing that letter. I don't know if this is enough to write off Joss Whedon and all of his work because he's known for being or creating a lot of feminist content, uh, especially at a time. For those of you who aren't familiar, uh, you know, Buffy is his most uh, popular Mm -hmm. feminist piece, but there are a lot of other uh, Joss Whedon shows out there. And uh, and then it came out, Charisma Carpenter, it was horrible to read what she had to say about him. And I 100% support all the people speaking out against Joss Whedon. And I still don't think it was crazy that I wasn't like, cancel Joss Whedon before. It wasn't even, it's funny because we, we also got like a really bad um, iTunes review that was like, one star Joss Whedon apologist. <laughs> um. and, and this was like over three years ago. And... It wasn't that I was necessarily an apologist. I was just saying that if my ex-wife wrote a mean letter about me and everyone was like, oh, I guess Carolyn's a a fucking jerk. We better all never (laughs) listen to her or hear her out. I would say like, hold on, you guys. Isn't that a little bit biased? You know, isn't that kind of (laughs) that? That was all. I wasn't saying that there's no way that that he could be bad and I definitely believe all of the cast who have come out and the these stories are horrible and and I'm yeah it's very likely that um a guy in his position would be uh create a toxic work environment that happens all the time and there's no reason for me to to not believe that so I hope that clears it up it's hard I didn't hear what you said <laughs> like I don't know what you said really or you know but just wanted to nip it in the bud you know, that was, I think, in maybe our second episode ever. <laughs> Great. But <laughs> I said something about it. Well, I'm going to find that tweet and I'll probably regret it later, but I'm going to reply to that and be like, oh, yes, my bad. Oh, no, uh, that's why you know, they don't I- tag us, Carolyn. <laughs> I don't know. Thank you, Melody, for giving me the opportunity to clear that up because I really did mean to do it the last episode. Um, you know, sometimes lesbians uh, make mistakes. Oh, uh, all the that, time. That doesn't mean that they're bad people, but you know what? Bad lesbians also exist, uh, especially in film. Oh, why don't you tweet that, Oreo? Um. <laughs> <laughs> bad lesbians exist. Thank you, Oreo. <laughs> that I would love. I would love Oreo to just be like, you know, also toxic lesbians exist. <laughs> please, please. But I would applaud like, that. Okay, that would be brave. In. Anyways, yeah. movies. Be more brave. <laughs> I watched one movie this last week, and you know what movie it was. Yeah, I only watched it because our listeners, uh, you know, if enough of you... <laughs> yeah, that's actually what happened. I got bullied DM into us. watching I yeah. Care A Lot because what... Y'all care a lot. Thank you for holding me accountable to Dyke Culture this week. I watched it at the last possible minute before recording. Finally, a lesbian movie with a happy ending. <laughs> yep. And that's what we'll say. No spoilers. Um, No spoilers, but a, a happy ending indeed. It's I'll say yeah. finally a lesbian movie where being a lesbian was normalized. Yes. We didn't yeah. need to talk about it. It just yeah. was. 
It just was. Just two uh, ladies who were uh, very in love with each other and it was normalized and that was good representation. But I also love it that we're like, we don't want any more of these period pieces of two... Two white lesbians. And it's like, okay, here's two lesbians, modern day setting. Uh, I believe one of them is Mexican and they are playing uh, just the most um, morally reprehensible people you can imagine. And that's what we get. <laughs> is that, I need, I still need to know. I know I asked this in the Facebook group, but is that why people are upset just because of the morality behind it? I don't know if people are upset because of the ending. I don't know. I didn't even know if people were upset. People were just like, talk about it. And I'll talk about it. Why'd you give Rosamund Pike that haircut? It was very abrasive. Speaking of abrasive. Abrasive blunt cut. Yeah, that was too blunt. (laughs) It's not often you get the opportunity to root for the demise of a lesbian couple (laughs) in a movie. But the men who wrote this... Certainly gave us that. Yeah. I think it was just one man who wrote it. I think so. And to clarify, I'm not saying that our listeners are upset by the movie. Um, People just wrote in asking us to watch and wanted to know what we had to say. I'm just talking about a lot of angry posts I saw about what this film means for feminism, how it's making feminism either an aesthetic choice and nothing else, or it's taking like girl boss feminism and running rampant with it like I didn't look into it that much I just watched it (laughs) yeah I'm looking at this salon headline right now that says I care a lot is a stinging indictment of neoliberal girl boss feminism I don't think too much into these things so I was just checking what is this trying to say I was just watching and thinking God, these people are horrible. (laughs) And and also wanting to read about the fact that, you know, I knew it had to be based on a real issue of this guardianship. So the movie uh, is about somebody who becomes like a guardian of elderly people and they profit from it. So when people don't have um, any close family who can take care of them, they can be taken to court and deemed like no longer able to care for themselves. A court appointed guardian who a lot of times can be a stranger will take over basically all the decisions in this person's life and they can like sell off their house, sell off their possessions, decide what care facility to put them to, um, decide on their medical treatment. And a lot of people profit off of this and and it's not a well-regulated industry. So it's ripe for a lot of corruption. So this film, Rosamund Pike's character, Marla Grayson, is one of these people that, does that and just doesn't seem to have like an ounce of empathy. It's just like a complete sociopath. Yeah. And and I think, and I was thinking like, Oh, the commentary is that anybody who's a successful, who's like a successful CEO must be a sociopath, which I'm like, okay, you might have me on board there. Uh, (laughs) Like anybody who's like super rich, you don't get there without exploiting uh, people, and that was the message that I took away. Not so much about the feminism okay. spin on it. You know, I guess we're at a point where we're like equal opportunity vultures. 
it doesn't always have to be a man, but I haven't seen a more dislikable character with like almost no redeeming qualities. Yeah, I didn't in a while. <laughs> right. Someone you just you don't root for in any way. Right. I feel like whenever you have a, a male character like this, you get like the backstory or like something or there's they have like a redeeming moment. And you'll get glimmers of that and they'll become somewhat human. But with this movie, there was such a detachment the entire time. But that's what would have been fine if it stayed that way. Towards the end, we start getting like glimpses into her humanity when she's, you know, fearing for her life and like all of that's happening to not to avoid spoilers like then it lost me and I was like what what's happening suddenly we have to care why no okay so I guess if you look at at this movie there are a lot of characters in this movie who are bad and who are also complicit in the the scam the fraud and and whatnot and you have Peter Dinklage in it who is some type of mobster and he's like literally a murderer. So the the quality that I least like in men, uh, as I mentioned earlier, yep. uh, this is Peter Dinklage's character. And yet you have so much more sympathy and empathy for mm-hmm. him, I feel, because of of his love for, for his mom. For his mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was on... <laughs> And that, and that makes him more sympathetic. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, this guy, like, literally, like, a, she's a not Russian murdering mobster. people. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, Rosamund Pike's character isn't murdering anybody, but she's just, like, so much more despicable or, again, nothing nothing redeeming. Um, I do have a, a little bit more of... Um, empathy for her partner, uh, Fran, who's played by Isaac Gonzalez, uh, only because I find her extremely attractive. So I was willing to let some things pass. She was She's very hot. 100% complicit. <laughs> Cecilia, while we were watching, she's like, who would you rather flirt with? It's a very oh Cecilia God, question. That is such a Cecilia question. Who would you rather flirt with? <laughs> who would you rather flirt with? And not touch, per se, but just kind of <laughs> wink at. And I was like, uh, easy, Isaac Gonzalez. Like, yeah. no question. But I think that's kind of surprising, though. If you're a listener, you might think that I would have said Diane West. Yeah, uh, I really would have. That's who I would flirt with. And in reality, probably. <laughs> do I think Diane West is a babe? I do. Oh, my God. Well, Carolyn, what is the gayest thing you did this week if it wasn't watching this movie? So many things that I think I might need to save a couple of them for next week, just in case, because I don't know if I can like keep up this pace of gayness. I can't it- keep up with you. I always come with one thing. You've always got a list out gaying me. The week started off when I was editing the episode and then I somehow got distracted. I don't even know what led me to it. Trying to prove that Sandra Bullock is queer. And I started looking at all these pictures and there's pictures of her kind of like planting uh, a a big sloppy kiss on Meryl Streep and uh, Scarlett Johansson at award shows. Now, this is nothing new. But then there were like also some other pictures that I'm like, I, I don't know. Could she be queer? And then I went down this rabbit hole and I was like posting in our Patreon group like real time as this w- was happening. And it's just like a thread of pictures of Sandra Bullock. 
she has such gay energy. I was obsessed with it. The energy in Miss yeah. Congeniality when I was younger. She is a dyke in that movie. Sandra Bullock in uh, Miss Congeniality, 100% a dyke. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a, just a very gay rabbit hole I went on. And then uh, I thought the gayest thing was going to be uh, I went into the city because I had a um, a video shoot for work. And first I want to call out that on the set, the crew was like mostly, it was like all men, mostly gay men, except the only two women, it was me and someone else who were there, definitely lesbians. Like there was just <laughs> the yeah. one uh, person who, who wasn't, a dude on crew, and, and then me. Uh, we Don't were just, you love like, it? Both gay. Um, yeah. What was this just, person's role? I think they were the PA uh, because they were doing a bunch of random things. Though I did think it was a little bit sexist that when I asked um, who's steaming the clothing for the host, mm-hmm. someone was like, "Oh, her over there," and I'm like, mm, "Interesting," because it seems like there's a lot of PAs and a lot of people. Fuck that. Doing things. Why Why is she steaming the clothing? Um, so I left that very gay set, and it was a long shoot. And, but I hadn't been in the city for a while. I'm like, if I'm in Manhattan, there is one thing I need to do, and that is go and buy some more Dyke beer. Because Dyke beer, it's honestly, I love it so much. It is very good. I don't really drink beer, <laughs> but... Um... It's so delicious, and as I'm, like, doing things around the house, like, beer is a great drink to be drinking while you're, like, doing home improvement type stuff, you know? Yeah. It's a good, like, working drink. So I went to um, a place, you know, if you are on, uh, if you're following Dyke Beer on Instagram, you can see all the places that carry the Dyke Beer. (laughs) And I went in, and I grabbed it, and I could only see a four-pack, and I was like, "Do, do you have any more than this? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's funny. We just started carrying it. What, why are you buying it? <laughs> I'm like, because it's delicious beer. And then you took your fingers, split your two index and middle, <laughs> brought it to your mouth, and you put your tongue through it, right? Yes, like- yes. you <laughs> <laughs> just pulling up parking in a bus lane, running in, <laughs> grabbing the dyke beer like it was an emergency. I kept like looking to my car, like afraid that I was going to get a ticket. It's a very high pressure dyke beer purchase. But I'd have to say the gayest thing that I did was last night I was uh, hanging some curtains and I've been using my impact driver uh, a lot over the past couple of months. Yeah. Got very close with my impact driver. I know what Haven't that means. used my drill as much. So I got out the drill last night. I started using it and I started singing to it the song uh, Getting to Know You from My Fair Lady God. because <laughs> that's how it felt. I was like you. getting to know my drill and I sang to it and we we had a night. We drilled a bunch of things. Some things went well. Other things did not go so well, but we are learning. We are getting to know how the other works. Right, of those three, of Sandra Bullock, Dyke Beer, singing to my drills. I think you buried the lead. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, maybe she likes a crescendo effect. (laughs) I honestly think I did something even gayer, but I'm saving it for next week. Okay. God. And I'll pretend I did it next week. I Uh, really envy your hustle lately. (laughs) 
You just, you knock it out of the park every week. I'll, what did I do this week? I planned a vacation. I planned a gaycation. Ooh. I'm going to finally do it. I'm going to Fire Island this summer. <gasps> Dropped Yay! the money. Did it. Um, nice. Yeah, I'm going to be staying in Cherry Grove last weekend of July, if anyone wants to say of what course. up. Um, pretty excited. It looks safe. Um, it's like an inn with like six rooms, dyke owned. Apparently the owner's partner loves diking out. That's cool to know. What? Um, I'll find out more. But yeah, I'm really excited. I've never been and it's killing me. I need to know what's going on. I know what's going on there. I've seen the pictures, but it just feels like a gay rite of passage, especially as a New Yorker, that I just need to get done. And I'm very excited. All right. We have some serious business to get to get it like searing stuff okay oh now i do Uh, thank you (laughs) today we are diking out with chef and author julia tertian about grilling julia is the best-selling author of now and again feed the resistance and small victories but she has a book that comes out that we're going to be talking about uh, it's out today, Simply Julia. It is incredible. Highly recommend it. Gorgeous cookbook with amazing recipes. We'll get into it. Epicurious has called her one of the 100 greatest home cooks of all time. And she's also the host of the podcast, Keep Calm and Cook On. Let's get into it. Julia, thank you so much for coming on the pod and diking out with us today. We are so excited. I am so excited. I have really been looking forward to this, and it's just, yeah, very nice to be here. I'm ready to learn. I I think a lot of the listeners of this podcast know cooking very much intimidates me. I have a weird... (laughs) complex with it. <laughs> but I dove into your book and I'm not joking. I cooked one of your recipes and it is the first thing I've cooked in all of the pandemic. What did you make? I, I started with a soup. I uh-huh. made the roasted onion soup oh, last awesome, night awesome. and it was delicious. I, um, I almost gave up a few times before I was even in my kitchen, like in the grocery store, like French or San Francisco sourdough bread. I don't know these things. Like I, I got a panic text. I can back, yeah, back I panic text people. And <laughs> sure enough, I did it. Thank you for getting me to cook. I feel like I'm the only person in the pandemic who hasn't cooked. That is totally fine. I'm I'm thrilled you made it. Did you like it? I did. I um I don't know. I think I'm a perfectionist. I grew up with a Persian mom who cooked like extravagant dishes. I think that's why I have Mm -hmm. a complex because I was like, oh, cooking is like an all day, two day, very like rich dishes that looked really complex. So I think that's why I get scared off from it. But I would. I did it. That makes sense. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, just Persian food is like the best food ever and so like labor intensive. Yeah. And I'm sure if that's what you grew up around. I mean, my mom never cooks, so that's why maybe I'm relaxed. Yeah. About it. <laughs> but I'm glad you made the soup. That's great. And yeah. I don't know the difference between French or San Francisco sourdough. So if that makes you feel oh, It took me 20 <laughs> minutes of Googling whether or not I should get the French or. And then I just went with neither and got wheat. <laughs> Because it didn't have a country attached to it, and it just said sourdough. I bet you that both those loaves of bread are, like, the exact same. I think they're just trying to, you know, some people who are like, ooh, French, awesome. Like, I'm going to get that. And then there's probably some people who are like, ooh, San Francisco, I'm gay, I'm going to pick that one. You know, but they're probably the same bread. 
Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's my conspiracy theory of the Thank day. you. Well, Julia, before we talk any more about cooking, I do want to ask you, what is the gayest thing you did this week? Um, well, let's see. It's Thursday. I mean, I just picked up um, medication at the vet for our rescue dogs. <laughs> so that, maybe that was pretty gay. Yes. Our vet is gay. Um, oh, nice. So I don't know. I put salt on the ice in our driveway and I put our cars in the garage because we've been having some bad weather yes we have two subarus so oh my my gosh living the dream yeah you really are living the dream uh (laughs) question because Uh i'm new to this upstate living julia how's the community the queer community up there were you did you know people already or have you been organically finding them um i think there's totally a very large queer community i mean i think there's a big queer community kind of everywhere, right? Like, it's just whether that community knows about each other. I just, I don't know. There's queer people everywhere. But I would say in, so when we say upstate New York, for anyone listening, I don't know how you feel about this. I've been corrected a lot because like, I don't live in like Buffalo, (laughs) you know, or like New York State is huge. I grew up around Buffalo. Yeah, no, I grew up around (laughs) Buffalo and I would get really mad when people would call that upstate because I'm like, that's Mm -hmm. Western New York Mm. and New Yorkers, people in New York City have a tendency to call anything that's not New York City, either Long Island or upstate. Yeah. And those are the like only anything, two things that exist outside of yeah, the city. <laughs> like anything north of 14th Street. <laughs> Upstate New York. Um, it's like but, Hudson Valley. Yeah, yeah. And it's like we're talking about huge regions, right? Right. So you and I live, I don't know exactly, probably like an hour from each other. I would say the area that my wife and I live in, we knew a lot of gay men in this area yeah. before we moved here. Um and that has changed over time. And I think we've met, um, I, I would say, like a larger range of people within the queer community since living here. One thing I've noticed is um, I have a friend who's awesome. Uh, she's gay and she is single. And she like asked me recently, like, do you know anyone to like set me up with? And I was like, I don't know anyone. Like I only know couples, which is weird to me because – that was not the case at all when so Grace and I lived in Brooklyn before we lived here before I met Grace I lived in Manhattan and was in New York City for most of my life except for like middle school high school which I try to forget (laughs) (laughs) um so that was like kind of a revelation to me which might be like really obvious for most people but I was like oh I think everyone I know in this area who is queer is part of a couple but maybe that's because it's like it is it we're in a more rural area and i think i don't know i don't think so would be different because every uh every once in a while we'll get a podcast guest uh who's like hey do you know anybody you can set me up with and i'm like uh we're interviewing awesome queer people every week of course i do and then i go to think about it i'm like huh <laughs> everyone's in a relationship like well, almost maybe everybody. Af- after we stop recording, maybe you can tell me about that person. I'll tell you about my friend, and maybe we can be matchmakers. Great, great. Oh, that yeah. can be the that can be the gayest thing I did this week. <laughs> the week is not over. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about it. I mean, the pandemic 
and cooking. There's been this big renewed interest in cooking. So Simply Julia, your new cookbook is out now. Um, I'm so excited about it, partially because I have been eating frozen dinners and takeout for over two months now. And I just last night for the first time cut up garlic in my kitchen. And it was my first time like doing something like that in a while. It was just to like throw in with some spinach, nothing crazy, but I'm like, this feels so good. I miss cooking. I love cooking. I'm excited about having like a a proper kitchen to cook in. And there's something, I don't know, has there been like an uptick in people going back to cookbooks um, versus just like blogs online? I've become very like anti- not anti-blogs online, but I'm just like sick of them. I'm sick of like getting like a million ads. Like there's such a difference of when you get a cookbook, especially one like yours, which is, I have to tell everybody, it is beautiful. Gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Like the the type treatment, the pictures, the the food shots, the people shots, the stories. everything, the stories. It's so beautiful. And I just don't think you can replicate that in a blog. I mean- some blogs are good. I'm not <laughs> yucking anyone's um, yum. I will just first thank you both for all those very kind things you just said. That means a lot to me. Um, but I also want to, I don't know, I feel like bloggers, so my wife used to run a blog for like 15 years. So Great. I'm she hates me now. Great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's all good. She, she closed it. Um, <laughs> but she... I don't know. So I, I know I have bias because of, of that. But in general, I just think bloggers are very undervalued. And um, I don't know. I hear a lot about that. Like, oh, there's too many ads and stuff. And the difference between me and the work I do and any food blogger, you know, besides like I put my work on paper and theirs is on a screen, is that people pay for my book. So I don't need to run ads and stuff, you know, and right, right. that's like the difference. So I feel like people who put content online when they give it away for free, there's still the same amount of work behind it. And, yeah. you know, and I just feel like that is, I don't know, maybe obvious, but I just feel like it gets forgotten a lot. And I just like want to stand up for bloggers because, um, because you have I assholes like-, like me putting them down. <laughs> no, I do. I am going to go back because I have no strong convictions. No, it's not that I, that, that I hate blogs. I, I think it's the thing with blogs is that I get very overwhelmed. So if I'm looking yeah. to do something and I type in, I'm looking for like a specific macaron recipe. I get inundated with so many different recipes. I can't remember like where I found the one I liked, even though I bookmarked it or I thought I did. You know, I, it's just yeah. like I get just easily overwhelmed. And it's nice, I think, to sometimes have a go-to guide in one place and where you're not having to like Google. Like I don't with a cookbook, I don't have to know exactly what I want. You yeah. know, you can just go into it. I, I totally hear you, and I um, I think that there's absolutely room for both of these things to yes, exist. Yes, yes, for sure. the reason I love making cookbooks and the reason I also love uh, consuming them, I mean, we were talking earlier about I'm surrounded by books. I'm sitting in my, like, home office. Um, these are all cookbooks, all of these, and these are oh, not. Really? These are not Holy. all the cookbooks I own. There's more downstairs. Like, I love cookbooks. I've oh loved my them my God. whole life. That That's is why I make them. I've yeah. had this like lifelong love. 
Um, and the reason I love them is for, or some of the reasons I love them are some of the things that you just shared. I think when you open a cookbook, first of all, you're not on a screen, which I just think is really valuable. <laughs> um, like yeah. in this day and age, like it is just nice to do something where you can just hold an object, a physical object in your hands and like flip pieces of paper. I just think feel that's a little saying. bit less dead. Yeah. yeah. I think I, that's why I felt yeah. like confident, more confident going into this cooking oh, good. experience. I'm so glad. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think that is the thing that I try to establish that sense of knowing that you hadn't cooked for so long and you held my book and you felt a sense of confidence, like that means everything to me. Like all I want to do as a cookbook author is to establish trust between myself and whoever picks up my book. And to me, that is the valuable thing about a cookbook is because the internet is overwhelming, like full stop, (laughs) like end of sentence. And you pick up a cookbook and if it's written by someone who you can trust, which is, you know, everyone's personal journey to figure out who that is and what that means to them. But I hope that people who pick up my books can feel that they can trust me. And the ways in which I go about, I, I try to earn that trust are, um, you know, I spend a lot of time developing and testing and writing my recipes. I am always trying to anticipate people's questions before they might have them. I try to give a ton of variations and ideas for recipes. So if you don't like this or you don't have this, it's fine. It's cool. I try to make sure all of my ingredients are very accessible and very affordable. And I am a home cook who writes for other home cooks. So I'm very conscious of things like calling for an extra pot or pan or bowl. If you don't need one, like I will just tell you, don't rinse out that pan. Like we're just going to use it again. It's no big deal because I don't want to wash two pans. Right. I don't (laughs) think you do either. So these kinds of things, um, you know, let alone like I share a lot of personal stories and stuff. Like there's a lot of, um, I think, like vulnerability in my work. And I don't do that trying to like be vulnerable so that you trust me. But just to know that like this is a safe space, like you are in like a safe space environment when you open my book. And I think that's really valuable. And I think that's not something you get on the internet, though the internet has so much to offer. And I'm Googling recipes all the time, just like everyone else. But I think it's a different experience when you open a cookbook, like, oh, I can trust everything in here. And also like, sometimes having fewer options is nice because, you know, there's a chapter in this book that is all recipes for chicken. (laughs) It's 11 (laughs) chicken recipes. These are 11, like, tried and true, really good recipes. They, like, have spanned different flavors and, you know, types of cooking. And it's 11. You know, it's not like – it's like I always think about, like, how many things do we have to choose from on television to watch? But I'm always like, I don't know what to watch. Like, I can't think of anything. Like, it's too much. Right, right. But if you were, like, here are 11 TV shows and movies. Like, choose one to watch tonight. Like, I'm like – make one of these like it's going to turn out well you're going to have you know a pleasant experience like sometimes limiting the choice is actually I think a big relief or at least it is for me yeah yeah I basically feel like life is incredibly stressful I am anxious all the time and the thing that I'm not anxious about is cooking yeah that makes me feel calm and confident and like just collected and I just think it's the last thing that should stress anyone out because there's enough going on in the world so I just feel like let me give you all the information I possibly can so that you the next time you have your Brussels sprouts like you don't even have to look it up like 
not that you'll know the temperature because there isn't the right temperature. Right, right. There's like, I don't know, you do it at this high temperature, they're going to turn out this way. You do it at this temperature, they're still going to cook. Like Every appliance is different. Exactly. Right. So like you'll get to a place where you just know your oven, right. you know your preferences, and you just make it. And it's like it's not this stressful moment in your day. It's You're just making dinner and you're leaving room for everything else. So I just want to equip people with the tools and skills and knowledge to just do that. So it's like just a non-issue. Yeah, you don't know this, but you are my spirit guide in <laughs> achieving this like zen cooking <laughs> moment. I've been watching my girlfriend. Um, she's always cooked. She is the home cook. She's an amazing cook. And it she has anxiety and depression and like PTSD and is just constantly so stressed out. But when mm. she's cooking, she's just in this zone and everything melts away. And I watch her in our tiny apartment, not far away, <laughs> just like really envious. Um, but it was your introductory... Um, essay where you lay out like you're speaking to home cooks you want to make it as easy as possible you stress that it shouldn't stress you out it's a cozy experience the meals are cozy and then once I read that the meals don't try to wow you but hug you line (laughs) like immediately you're right it is a safe space this book I want our listeners to know if they're in the same boat as me it is a very comforting cookbook well, I really appreciate that. Um, that means a lot to me. And that's cool to know about your girlfriend. And maybe, um, I don't know, you're not asking me this, but I just feel like it's worth saying, then maybe it's great you haven't cooked in so long. <laughs> if it means that there's more time and space for her to do it, if it gives her I know, satisfaction. Right. I she mean, does get probably, annoyed sometimes. We should probably I'm, ask her, right? <laughs> yeah. Have to decide this on her behalf. But anyway. <laughs> no, I, I'm a little bit like that. Most of the time, like when I set to actually like cook a, a nice meal... It is my happy place. It's like where I can calm down. I I think a lot of people, too, with the pandemic have kind of reconnected with it as well, having more time at home and having to cook for themselves more and kind of rediscovering that simple joy that comes from preparing food with your hands. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Simply Julia. Yeah. Okay, who's ready for a true story? When I entered my MFA program this fall, I knew I was going to have so little time for cooking. So I wanted a solution that would let me have tasty, healthy meals in a flash so that after class, I could still have time and energy to be gay. So I signed up for Factor, which ships you ready to eat meals that are chef created and dietitian approved. They're fresh, never frozen, so all you have to do is stick them in the microwave for two minutes, and then they're nice and done. Um, The weekly menu has over 35 options. The salmon entrees are always my personal favorite, but they have um, a lot of things you can choose from, options for different dietary needs like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. They also have add-ons for when you don't need an entire meal. Um, I tried some good cookies and some jerky. Uh, No prep, no mess, and And when I looked into it financially, which was one of my main concerns, it was actually less expensive than uh, takeout and honestly, really close to the cost of buying ingredients at the grocery store down my block in New York City. Uh, And then I saved a lot of time. So to me, it was definitely worth it. Did I mention that the meals are also really delicious? Like I've yet to try one that I didn't like. So if that sounds good to you, I think you should give it a try too. Head to factormeals.com slash dykingout50 and use code dykingout50 to get 50% off. That's code dykingout50 at factormeals.com slash dykingout50 to get 50% off. 
As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. I heard that one of the recipes in Simply Julia was inspired by the L word. <laughs> that is accurate. And I need to know which one. Yeah. Okay. We're going to need all the details on this. Um, yeah. It was, it is n- it, not something I make on the grill, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, maybe you can. So it's a cake. It's a cake. And I don't see why you can't just put a cake pan with a batter on your grill and close it and use it as an oven. I feel like that's probably something people do. I just haven't done it. Mm. Um, Interesting. Maybe maybe I'm lacking my, like, gay cooking street cred because I haven't done that. I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) um, yes, there's a cake in the dessert chapter of the book, um, a pear and almond cake. Okay. That has cornmeal in it. because cornmeal and polenta are, you know, the same thing. And this was inspired by, on many times over the course of many seasons of The L Word, um, Kit would say that the best-selling item at the planet was the pear polenta tart. And <laughs> Of course years, you would pick up on that. I'm like, yeah. I feel like I know <laughs> everything about that show, and I'm like, that detail... <laughs> Well, missed it. <laughs> this is what I pay attention to. I love I it. mentioned it more than once. Like it was kind of, you know, like a little bit of like an Easter egg on a show. Right, like, right. Oh, yeah. Someone <laughs> yeah. in the writing room like remembered that detail and I, they like said it was the same. I like, love it. Like it was consistent. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I, not to my memory, and I think I'm assuming the three of us are in the same boat here that we've seen all of it mm-hmm. m- maybe more than once or maybe more than yes. like 10 times. Um <laughs> So to my memory, I don't think we ever saw this tart, but it was mentioned a few times. And being the person that I am, which is a person who pays tremendous attention to detail about food and not much else, (laughs) um, I just noticed this. And for years of my life, this has been in my mind. Like, what was the pear polenta tart? Like, was it like, was there like a pear filling? Was it like a rustic kind of 
open <laughs> crostata type of thing? Like, was it creamy? Is it like a like a French patisserie type of thing? Like, what is the pear polenta tart? <laughs> and then when I had the opportunity to work on this book and I was thinking about desserts, I was just like, here's my chance, right? Like, <laughs> like I get to figure out the pear polenta tart. And I started, you know, putzing around my kitchen thinking about tarts. And then I was like, Making a tart sucks. It's like <laughs> you need the special tart pan and then it's like sticks to the thing and it doesn't come out and tarts feel very like fancy to me mm-hmm. and it, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with fancy. I'm just – I am not fancy and I'm like not the girl you come to for a tart recipe. And then – but I just really like those flavors like pear, polenta, like that sounds great. And then I was like, well, maybe it's just a cake. <laughs> and <laughs> so I turned the pear, polenta tart into a cake and then I it, – it's – there's a lot of almond in this recipe too. So it's, I mean, it's not anything resembling the original point of inspiration, but it was inspired by that. It's this pear almond cornmeal cake. It's totally gluten-free, which I am not. I don't have celiac disease. I'm grateful for that. Um, But the gluten-free thing just also felt very like Los Angeles to me. Oh yeah, this, this feels right. And then also with like the almond and stuff too, my wife, Grace, she has um, type 1 diabetes, which means that I am thinking a lot about carbohydrates when I cook. Yeah, Not really even because she asked me. She's much more easygoing than I am. I just know <laughs> that like when it comes to insulin and stuff, it's like riding those waves of blood sugar, which is a complicated thing. And she's doing math and calculations all day, every day. Right. Um, You know, it's just a little bit easier if um, carb amounts on certain foods are a little bit lower. So a lot of the recipes in the book reflect that. I kind of joke about our low carb, high quality lifestyle. (laughs) Um, But it's not like, this is not like a low carb book. There is nothing about restriction or dieting at all in this book, which is really important to me. Um, But that is a little bit more about that recipe. So yeah. Thank you so much (laughs) for indulging us. I, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was a grilling (laughs) recipe. I was combing through the book trying to figure out what recipe it was. I think that like, I think the best thing is make it ahead of time. Also, you kind of have to, because if you cut it when it's hot, it like crumbles. Like you have to let this cake cool. I mean, Whatever. You can eat crumbled, delicious stuff, like mix it with some vanilla ice cream. Great. Um, But make the cake ahead and then have all your gay friends over and you can grill outside. And then after you've eaten all your wonderful grilled food, then you just come out with this beautiful cake. And that's how we can make it work with this grilling theme. Yes. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So glad we cleared that up. I love grilling so much and I haven't been able to do it living in New York, but whenever we go on vacation, I'm always trying to find an Airbnb or a place that allows me to grill and then I can fire it up. And my wife gets like so excited uh, that I'm going to be grilling because then I just want to make like everything possible on the grill. I think grills are the best thing. I haven't bought my grill yet for my new house since it is the middle of winter, but I did read, uh, I've skipped ahead to your love letter to grilling in the book <laughs> and read that you, d- you do use your grill year round. Yeah. Oh yeah. I am so excited that you're going to be getting your grill soon. And I really would love for you to drop me an email once once you get it and decide which one because I just am so curious to know where you land. Um, <laughs> I love grilling. I think it's the best for all the things you just said and just 
Um, I just so encourage it for anyone who has, yeah, a safe space to do it. Right, <laughs> so maybe right. Not like, not like a balcony. In I the actually, fire escape. my past three apartments when I lived in Chicago had grills that like the previous owner on this like brick kind of balcony. Oh, that's cool. They didn't blow away. <laughs> I had friends who'd come joke. over and go. But it was, yeah, one was actually a wooden balcony. So I don't <laughs> know if that was up to code. But are you grilling, like outdoor grilling all year? Because I remember seeing a Queer Eye episode where Antony was using an indoor grill. And I was like, what is, what's the deal? What is yeah, that? Yeah, I remember that episode. And um, it's just very curious about it. And I... So that kind of, okay, I grill outside on like a Weber gas grill, like one you get at the hardware store. That's what I love. There's room for all of us. I am not on team charcoal, but I'm not against it. Um, Charcoal's a lot. I used to live in Atlanta and that's, I think where I got really into grilling was my friends and I like, that's all we did when we got together were just like backyard grill parties. And my one friend was like really committed to the charcoal and I'm like. That can be your thing. It's it's a whole thing. It is. And and it can be super fun and... Smells great, but yeah. Yeah, it smells great. It gets even hotter, which is nice for some things. Um, It's very... I think there's like a big romance to it. Like I'm starting the fire. Sure, sure. (laughs) And um, I'm tending to the fire. And it's also a mess and you have to clean up afterwards and it's hard to control um, and I, as I mentioned, run a bit anxious and I just really love control. So being able to adjust the temperature on the grill and turn it off and what's your sign? It's off. Sorry, I'm Melody. A, I stole your question. <laughs> I am a Leo. I'm like double Leo. So the gas grilling appeals to me for that. Yeah. But yeah, I did see that episode and I was just very, um, I don't know. I was curious about that. I don't know if that like company maybe was a sponsor or something. Probably, that was like yeah. my guess. Um, <laughs> To me, grilling inside just feels like, well, one, if you're on this really tiny grill, I mean, I love like a little hibachi grill, like those can be really fun. Um, I had one of those for a while outside, but I feel like the great thing about grilling is you can get this like big space where you can make a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, So having like a small amount of real estate just feels like why even bother to me? I don't know. And inside, I'm just like, ooh, smoke inside. No, like the whole point is like it's outside. So yeah. Yes. Anyway, I could go on and on and I'm happy to, but I will cut myself off here and let you ask me a question. (laughs) So in in the book, you do tell us about your first experience with a grill. Can you share that here again? Because I'm sure it's relatable for some people uh, or we've all had near experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, cooking in general, like you're dealing with like sharp knives and fire, right? Right. <laughs> like, um, so it's something where I think safety is very important. And as I mentioned um, in the book, I can actually show you if you want. I mean, no one on your podcast can see this. But so when I was in the fifth grade, I was voted safety patrol captain, which I have kind of taken as a lifetime appointment. And yes. I even still have my <laughs> certificate, which I can show you guys later. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's like framed on my wall. Please. Amazing. Um, So safety is very important to me. Um, So that is one thing to know. The second thing to know, and I mentioned this earlier, I've, you know, loved cookbooks my whole life and I've loved to cook my whole life. So I've cooked since I was a really little kid and that has included grilling. So the first time I ever turned a grill on by myself, I think I was about 12 years old. It was on the deck of 
the house I grew up in. And I had like, uh, you know, come out with tongs and flip things on the grill before or a spatula. Like my dad would grill something. and That's where I'm at. I would kind of like push him to the side and come out there and be like, I know what I'm doing. Um, but he had always turned the grill on. That was his department. And then I had seen him do it kind of enough times and I thought I was ready to do it. So 12-year-old Julia, who had the same very curly hair that I have now, which you can see, but people on the podcast can't, um, but I have very curly hair. And so I went outside to turn on the grill and with a gas grill, you, um, after you ignite the gas, um, so you're turning that propane like into fire, you then leave the grill for a little while to let it heat up, to let the grill grates get really hot. So I knew that was part of it. So I turned the grill on or so I thought I went back inside, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. I was getting my like shish kebabs or whatever I was making, (laughs) like, you know, early nineties. And, um, (laughs) Then I went back outside to put the food on the grill, and then I realized it was, like, ice cold. So I was like, oh, no, like, the propane never caught, like, it never ignited. Therefore, I'm just going to press, like, the ignite button again. And it didn't occur to me that, like, for those 10 or 15 minutes I was, like, marinating, that just propane was, like, free-flowing, free-flowing. So the air is, like, filled with all this propane, and then... 12-year-old me presses the little thing to, like, light the spark. Oh, my God. And there was, like, this very miniature mushroom cloud. And I put both hands, like, up on my head, like, oh, my goodness, like, what happened? <laughs> and I pulled my hands down, and I had, like, frayed curls in my hand. Oh, so my God. I was totally fine. I was not injured. I didn't – I did not light my hair or head on fire. But it was just, like, the little frizzy ends had sure. charred. Yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, just, like, the worst <laughs> smell in the world. Right. right. Um, <laughs> so – you know, as much as I love and care about safety, this was obviously really unsafe. I do not recommend this, but it's a good story to share just to know what not to do. Right. And also, I never in my life have made that mistake again. So I think it's kind <laughs> of the thing learn. where, yeah, you sort of touch the hot stove once and then, you know, not to do it. I don't recommend this. It's just this is what happened. So I'm telling you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I was cooking with uh, gas in my last apartment, but where I moved to, there aren't any natural gas lines. And I was like, oh, should I get like a propane set up for my stove inside? But I went to like a cabin that had a propane stove inside and propane gas is like very different than natural gas in the way it comes out. It's like really intense. It's like, there's mm-hmm. not as much a nuance, I guess, in the, yeah. in the flame. So it goes from like zero to 10, like really, really fast. And, um, when I was at this cabin with the propane stove over the summer, I definitely almost, uh, lit my hair on fire and yeah. I was just cooking up eggs and the flame came like a good two feet. <laughs> You're like in a restaurant. Into the air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you, what, you have like an electric stove now? I have an electric you? stove now. Yeah. yeah. How's that going? I mean, I haven't um, had one in a while and I just started using it, but it's come a little bit of a a long way since I can remember. Cause I had the ones with like those grates, the, the coils. The coils. Yeah. 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 Oh Yeah. And that always seemed to take a while. And then when I started cooking with natural ga- gas, I was like, I'm never going back. This is yeah. this is great. But I, I actually don't mind the electric and it'll be interesting. Once I get settled, I'm going to bake macarons and that's going to be like the first test of like how much do I like this oven is how mm. they come out. <laughs> 
even though it's like a million factors of why they could go wrong, the oven only being one of them. <laughs> yeah, but. you pick quite the <laughs> endeavor. <laughs> it's like my favorite thing to bake now. I can't stop. I'm very impressed. I would be like, I'm going to bake a potato and see how yeah. long it takes. <laughs> so far, I've just been like heating up frozen pizzas. So I mean, it's, that's fine. Yeah, Nothing wrong with that. Does the job. <laughs> Speaking of pizza, do you grill pizzas? Um, I Ooh. have. I like. So, OK, this sounds very like fussy, but I like grilling pizza dough, like almost like make like a grilled flatbread, basically. And yeah. then I take that back into my kitchen and I put on like tomato sauce and cheese and then I run it under my broiler to melt the cheese. So like the dough is already like cooked. Yeah, like I'm making yeah. my own bobbly pizza. Did you I was just going to say it sounds like a bobbly pizza. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, because I feel like when you close the grill, the grill's not hot. Like pizza ovens are like a thousand degrees. Like right. that's how like the cheese gets so like bubbly and kind of browned and stuff. So I like the flavor of like the grilled pizza dough but doing the whole thing on the grill, I feel like it ends up you end up with like soggy pizza, which is mm. to me like a bummer. Um, but I'll only do that like if I've done that before when we've had like friends over, and I'll like grill pizza dough in advance, and then I have like a pile of them, and then I can like run them under the broiler real easy. Like I I just try to make things easy for myself. I think making homemade pizza for a lot of people is actually a really difficult thing to do. I feel like that's like. I'm going to make everyone their own omelet. Like, right. <laughs> no. Like make a frittata, serve it at room temperature. <laughs> like don't make things so hard for yourself. So what – oh, your question was about grilling pizza and I just gave you a tangent. So, <laughs> No, that's great. I mean so you mentioned that you use like a Weber grill that you get at a hardware store. I started looking at – grills to buy and definitely was like overwhelmed. I'm like, this is my first mm -hmm. time buying my own grill. There are some with like an attachment to do like rotisserie chicken. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, you don't need that. Okay. I'm like, does that make yeah. sense? No. Uh <laughs> no, I would keep it super simple. Yeah. And I just would also, I don't know. I feel like in general where the places where you can purchase a grill are usually, um, you know, big stores like Lowe's or Home Depot or like small independent hardware stores. And I don't know if there are other places where you would go to buy one, I guess, unless you order it online. And I feel like a big part about purchasing a grill is one, it's just like such a like heteronormative kind of like annoying thing and you know all the pictures that are on the box that the grill comes in it's like some dude with his yes. you know polo t-shirt tucked in and he's yeah. holding his beer or something Dockers. yeah it's like a lot of that it's usually all white people there's like no women and I think going into any kind of hardware store or Lowe's or Home Depot thing they're not all like that but it can I don't know I've had that experience before where I'm just like a little bit feel um maybe like intimidated or something especially if I like don't know exactly what I want right so yeah. I think um just being unafraid to like ask questions and just remember like you're the one spending the money <laughs> like <laughs> you have every right to ask whatever question you have um is just a really good thing to remember and um, yeah, researching things online too without any judgment. And then you can go ask for exactly what you want. That's always great. My other thing to note in terms of like the places where you purchase a grill, 
like those are usually also places where you can refill your propane tank if you're buying a gas grill. And so my big tip on that is um, spend the money to buy two yes. and always have a backup tank. Like keep it wherever it's safe to keep it, like, you know, in your backyard or wherever. And because you just – the worst moment is when you're grilling something and yep. then the grill runs out of gas yep. and then you're like, well, okay, like I guess I'll put it in the oven or whatever or like – This sucks. And just having that backup tank. I mean, in general, it just, it feels to me like having, you know, extra, uh, you know, pasta in the pantry or like extra paper towels and toilet paper and those things. Like just having, like even just like two extra rolls of paper towels, I feel like I am so secure, right? Like, of course, (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) Like, but that false sense of security, like, I really get that with a backup tank of propane. Like, that feels really great to me to have. So I recommend that. Yeah. Are you a barbecue fan? Barbecue meaning, like, southern barbecue. Yeah. Like, pulled pork and ribs and all that. Yes, total. I mean, I'm a fan of, like, most foods, but I love barbecue. I love all the regional differences, and because I'm not actually from the south, I like all of them. Like, I don't feel like a strong allegiance to any single one. Like, I think they're all so great. But I love how defensive people get and, like, like, passionate. I have a Southern girlfriend and a lot of Southern friends from From North Carolina. From the Carolinas. And it's all... I like it all. That was my follow-up question. Do you have, like, a specific type yeah. of like, regional barbecue that you prefer? Well, my wife is from Virginia, from southern Virginia, and um, she – one of the many wonderful things she brought into um, our marriage is a love of, um, like, really, really good, really, really simple pulled pork um, that isn't, like, too saucy Um and so I really love that. There's like a place where sometimes like if we drive to go see my in-laws, we'll kind of drive like an hour or two out of the way to stop at this place to get like chopped pork, like barbecue sandwiches with pickles on them. They're so good. Ooh, um, yeah. But yeah, I like all of them. One of my best friends is from Austin and we once like a bunch of us went on like a barbecue, like road trip. I mean, I like it all. I like ribs. I like um you know what is so underrated is barbecue turkey is delicious. Really? Um, so good. I think I've ever had barbecue turkey. Yeah, so good. So I like all of it. It kind of feels to me like how I would, I guess, most people feel about sports. Like, oh, this is my home team or whatever. And I just like, <laughs> I'm not, like, the least gay thing about me, I guess, is like I'm not into sports at all. Yeah, the allegiance is very funny. When yeah. my girlfriend meets another Southern person, she's like, and what's your uh, barbecue sauce uh, base? <laughs> is it vinegar base or is it uh, ketchup? Like... Where is she from? Um, North Carolina. Okay, so and, like, vinegar, grew up in like the right? country. That, yeah, vinegar. Yeah, or mustard <laughs> vinegar. Oh, I thought it was vinegar. I think it's, I think vinegar. it's vinegar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's vinegar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get confused. Um, that was so funny. Like whole whole hog vinegar. Yeah. I like barbecue, but that to me is um, a very different thing than gas grilling. To me, gas grilling is like I'm gonna make a lot of stuff really quickly and it's going to be really easy to clean up afterwards. Barbecue to me is like, we're going to spend all day, like maybe we're going to dig a pit or something, or we're going to make this kind of pilgrimage to this place that's been doing it for generations. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's like real like wood and we're going to chop down the tree or whatever, like (laughs) all that, like a whole different subject. But but one I love 
and totally related like fire and all that but yeah right yeah big umbrella we're all underneath it yeah i'm <laughs> such a novice with all cooking anything I'm like is it related <laughs> well a lot of people do conflate the word uh grilling with barbecuing they'll be like yeah. oh i'm like firing up the barbecue i'm like you mean mm-hmm. the the grill not mm-hmm. the yeah. the barbecue yeah. and and that's a regional thing but i don't know which region but i feel like throughout my life i've met people who call like grilling barbecuing mm-hmm. and it's definitely not people in the south because they know yeah. what barbecue yeah. is yeah maybe it's like, like a northeast oh, thing we're going to so-and-so's house for a barbecue and maybe for that a just barbecue like burgers right right, hot right. Dogs. all of these things are great but yeah it's kind of like i don't know maybe like words within the queer community and stuff and like right? labels and stuff and <laughs> i just um I don't know. I like all of it. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, hey, if you want to call yeah. it a barbecue, go ahead and call it a barbecue. That's it's yeah. not harming anybody. That's uh, valid. <laughs> <laughs> I see you. I hear you. Um, Actually, so the office I used to work at um, in Manhattan had this like big deck that faced the Hudson. Uh, it was like the nicest thing about working there. And then they would have what they would call like barbecues but it was just the ceo and like two other men taking over the grill and not letting women participate Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) it is such a weird thing to me like there's so many men like straight cis men who um will never step foot in a kitchen but all of a sudden it's like Uh Oh, I'll, like even the term, like I will man the barbecue. Yeah, you know? I'm the right. grill master. Yeah, I know it's also a brand. I think, but like, <laughs> but and I'm also like, how do you like if you've never if you're not cooking, like how do you how do you know when the chicken is done and like right? Why? What makes you think you know what to do? I mean, there's maybe they know, but I'm just bitter. But it's like <laughs> no, it is it, funny it that there me. there is yeah. this like heteronormative divide. I mean, I even think about my own family and um you know the the family parties that we'll have it's like my aunts are like the cooks but whenever the grill's involved it's always my uncle on the grill Mm -hmm. and I'm like that's so weird that you know I have these aunts who are like amazing in the kitchen they're such great chefs like I've seen them cook just for so many people so many different kinds of meals but when it comes to the grilling, I feel like it's like because it's like it's like in the domain of like the backyard, right? Yeah. Which like <laughs> tends to be like I'm gonna mow the lawn and grill the hot dogs, and right? Like, you know, I'm gonna whatever. Um, so I feel like it's like in their quote unquote department, but I just it's part of. I don't love to grill because I'm gay but I think <laughs> the fact that I am is adds to my love of grilling because I feel like I am getting to claim total ownership and like authority over this area like this domestic area that yeah. has been very um taken over by I feel like a lot of men who have no idea what they're doing right um I've never thought about it that way but I really think that that is part of it for me too because it has been always something that I'm like as soon as I got old enough I was like oh there's a grill now it's like my turn and I get Mm -hmm. to grill and don't tell me that it's just for guys I'm gonna do it (laughs) 
Like I'm I take impress a lot ladies of with it. Pleasure. <laughs> totally, totally. I take like so much pleasure in a lot of the um kind of household tasks that I think I just remember my dad doing when I was growing up. Yeah. Like I love taking out the trash and recycling. Like I love breaking down boxes. <laughs> I like shovel I wouldn't say I love shoveling snow, but I like it. Like I I deal with like um you know, like, oh, the car needs the inspection and I fill the washer fluid and these things that have always been like under the dad category. I'm like, I've got this. And it's like, makes me really happy. So, but I also am the person who like wants to make the pear polenta cake and both of these things can be true. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) What are some of your favorite things to grill? I mean, the list of things I I don't like to grill would probably be shorter. (laughs) Those two, yeah. What's Yeah. I I really love I love grilling so many things. I love grilling vegetables, um all different types. I like everything from like, you know, grilled asparagus is delicious oh, and I love like I love it. And grilled um mushrooms are so good. I feel like not enjoyed enough. Like grilled mushrooms then chop them up and mix them with some like olive oil and garlic and like a tiny bit of vinegar, like so delicious. Mm. Um we eat a ton of grilled zucchini in the summer just because there's always, like, so much zucchini. Yes. And it's, like, a good way to just get rid of a lot of it. Right, right. And, it's my favorite yeah, way to eat zucchini for totally. sure. Um, and then, yeah, we grill a lot of, like, um, chicken and pork and stuff like that. And um, what else? I am a big, big fan of putting a cast iron pan on the grill and letting it get super hot. And then I cook... Um, seafood in that like fish or shrimp Mm. or anything like that it's so good because that super hot pan you get like such a nice kind of crust on like you know if it's like a piece of fish or whatever the kind of thing I really am reluctant to do inside my house because that's just going to create like smoke and kind of um aromatic (laughs) smoke that (laughs) I like don't really want in my house and kind of just like make a mess and if I do it on the grill, it's, like, all outside. It's, like, no problem. I let it get, like, ripping hot. Um, and that tastes so good, right, to have that, like, very, like, kind of, like, a hard sear on a piece of fish is, like, delicious. Um, so I like doing that. I also use that hot pan for things, like, I'll cut um, corn off the cob and put, like, corn kernels and, like, a little, like, sizzling butter in that pan. And it's, like, so good because it's just so hot. So things get kind of charred and mm. delicious. Um I also like grilling um, some fruit, like like um, apricots or nectarines or peaches, I think are really delicious when you grill them. And then you can have that with like pork or chicken or like, or, you know, with ice cream or whatever. Um, yeah, I like grilling so many things. <laughs> I'm very basic in that I love grilled pineapple, but somebody was just telling me about delicious. grilling watermelon and I'd oh, never whoa. seen or heard of that before. I kind of want to, like, eat a piece of watermelon while I'm grilling. Right. I don't know if I want to put it on the grill, but, I mean, why not? Whatever. (laughs) I also really like drinking, like, a a very cold beer while I'm grilling. Like, that's incredibly satisfying. I like doing that. Are there things that people grill that you're like, oh, why are you grilling this? I think a lot of people don't kind of know exactly what to do when they're grilling Mm -hmm. and um, end up kind of disappointed in some stuff and I don't think there's anything that's like necessarily bad or like wrong to grill um but basically the thing the moment I'm thinking about more than anything is like 
people will put something on the grill, whatever the food is, and then they immediately start like poking at it with tongs or the spatula and flipping it and flip it like a million times. Like, (laughs) yeah, I try to like whatever I'm cooking, I try to flip it once. (laughs) Right. Like, and I just think like, let it release itself from the grill. Like, don't force it. So the whole idea of like, um, like straight cis men standing out there that I'm just like mad at all of them for no good reason. I'm just bitter, but like, and they're <laughs> just like reasons. flipping things. It's so much flipping, flipping things, poking things, and I'm like, just leave it alone. Like you're actually ruining it. Like let it's it. It's like cook. overacting. Yeah. It's yeah. like when someone's in a TV show <laughs> pretending to drive, totally. and they're just <laughs> left to right with the steering wheel. They're overacting. So accurate. That is so <laughs> accurate. So I would say in general, it's not. I don't think there's anything that's like wrong to grill but like I'm thinking especially of like fish like people will throw a piece of fish on the grill and a fish is kind of hard to grill and that's why I like doing it in the pan because it won't stick to the grates like you're guaranteeing that that won't happen I've only done it in like Um, a foil packet is that wrong yeah that's great no that's great I I love a foil packet me too oh my god I do a lot of those love those oh and I make the joke every time because I'll make all these packets of foil in our kitchen and I like go to bring them outside and I'm always like, Grace, we're having tin foil for dinner. <laughs> and I think it's <laughs> you so are funny. the dad. I am. I am. <laughs> like it's really bad. I'm like, wait, hold on. I just need to go bring out the recycling. Then I'll put the tin foil on yeah. the grill. Um, I thought you were going to say you make a joke about it looking vaginal because <laughs> like if you, oh, like sometimes you, make the, you can I, make it. I can see it. My wife yeah. will, if, if something could be like a little bit construed to be a vagina, she will point it out there's and make a really a will, big there's deal. A way. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that happens with foil packets for sure. <laughs> um, well, I had never thought about that before, and now I don't think I can ever not think of that. You're so. welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm also intimidated by grilling. I have to say, it's the. I really think it's the Persian upbringing because there's so much grilling Mm. in Persian culture too Mm -hmm. with the kebabs of it all and yeah I'm just like reflecting and realizing a lot it was always my mom preparing it and it looked so involved and like my job was to transport the shish kebabs to my dad and then Mm -hmm. he would take it from there because it was outside but you were the hopefully this summer I can do it for once yeah I mean maybe maybe you should start with something not Persian. <laughs> yeah. I have a huge complex and it really is, I think, ultimately because of that Persian yeah. cuisine. I feel like maybe like making it your own thing and not trying mm-hmm. to replicate something. Yeah. I can, I just, I don't know. We had very different upbringings and like my mom like never cooked and I just can only imagine, I think how hard it must be. Not hard. I mean, it sounds like you had delicious food. That's amazing. That's wonderful. But hard oh, to yeah. like... If you're feeling like maybe it's not going to live up to that or something, I'm putting words in your mouth, but like oh, I would just correct. make it a, I would make it a whole other thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. part of what I like about grilling, I feel like it can be as simple or as complex as you want it to be, but mostly on the, on the simple side, it just seems like, oh, this is like such a quick and easy way to make these things I love. And it's going to taste good unless I like really, really mess it up. One grilling related question. What are your thoughts and feelings about marinade? Oh, um, I am not super into marinating for a few reasons. One, 
that requires thinking ahead, right. which you don't always do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, two, I feel like you're putting all this stuff on the outside of the food, and then it just kind of falls off the grill. Yeah. And like, is it actually adding flavor? I don't know. Um, also, like putting wet things on the grill is just kind of like a recipe for things to stick and whatever. Yeah. So that said, I will sometimes like, um, like, like a a thin piece of like a chicken breast or something like something that's going to cook really quickly like a pounded out pork chop or something i will sometimes do like a super intense marinade like maybe kind of like southeast asian style like some like fish sauce and like a little bit of oil and maybe like a pinch of sugar to kind of have that like sweet salty thing and i'll marinate it in that and then something that just grills quickly and because also marinades tend to have something sweet in them. And it's like, if you're not cooking the thing quickly, like that's just going to burn and make a mess. Yeah. I am a big fan of olive oil and salt on whatever I'm grilling, vegetables, chicken, whatever. That's it. And then after whatever the item is, after it's been cooked and it's like nicely like charred and, you know, whatever needs to happen has happened take it off the grill and then I like spoon over whatever I would have marinated it in um, or I'll like slice the steak or the chicken or whatever and then spoon over, you know, whether it's like something like if it's like in the direction of France, like like a Dijon, like vinegar, olive oil, like maybe dried, like, I don't know, um, like lavender or something, whatever. I don't know, like spoon that over. Um, maybe it's like a big squeeze of fresh lemon and olive oil and some like raw parsley, um, something like that. Or like, yeah, soy sauce and some toasted sesame oil. And I don't know, maybe a little bit of like raw minced ginger mixed into that, like that over, you know, grilled steak or vegetables is delicious. So I like simple grill, no marinade. And then hit it with the sauce afterwards. I like, I like that, that yeah. um, idea. That yeah. just seems like you know you're getting those flavors. I don't know. There's exactly. something I don't trust. Yeah. <laughs> um, or I've had marinades uh, my girlfriend's made and just like been like searching for that flavor mm-hmm. I know is in there. Mm-hmm. Like she's like excited yeah. about a saffron and a marinade and I'm like trying to oh find it. <laughs> that like makes me sad to think about saffron just – being poured onto the grill. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I also think with with marinades like pe- like to really coat a bunch of food like you have to make a lot and I yeah. just feel like it like you end up like pouring this Ziploc bag of like weird liquid down the drain and throwing <laughs> yeah. it out and it yes. just feels kind of like wasted money to yeah. me. So okay. I'd rather like salt pepper and then spoon on a little bit of whatever. I also like like a dry rub like yeah. If I'm grilling meat of any kind or chicken, like I like doing like a spice rub or kind of like a, a spice like paste with some oil and rub that on because that's not going to drip everywhere. That's a nice thing to do. Like if I make like barbecue chicken, if I make grilled chicken with the <laughs> flavor of barbecue, I will yeah. be specific. I will do like salt, pepper, paprika, like a little garlic powder, like chili powder, like all those really yummy things rub that on the chicken, grill it, and then it, right as it's done, maybe I'll put a little barbecue sauce on it, close the grill, and let it kind of caramelize a little bit or just serve barbecue sauce with it. Like we eat that a lot in the summer, so a dry rub is nice. Yeah. Nice. I also think marinades tend to have 
usually something quite acidic in them, whether it's like vinegar or lemon or lime. And when meat, whether it's chicken or beef or pork or whatever, sits in something very acidic for a long time, like people who marinate things for like a day or three days or something, like I don't know the science behind it. I'm not the right person to ask, but I know something kind of weird can happen sometimes and things can get like a little tough or um, just like a weird texture and it's like the acid breaking down the protein or something. Again, not I don't know enough to comment on this. I just know that I don't like it. I want to back out a little bit from grilling and talk about just like, I know that in the restaurant world um, that a lot of um, women who are chefs are also queer, or at least Mm -hmm. that's how it seems to me. And people I know who are in the restaurant industry are like, oh yeah, it's so gay. Mm -hmm. Um, But how, but you're more in like the home cooking author recipe creator mm-hmm. space is that also very queer or not as much not as much in my opinion and experience not as much so um restaurant world like definitely um more men than women in restaurants but amongst the women in restaurants more gay than straight yeah. i would say across the board um cookbooks interestingly these are just my guesses. These are not facts. I just want to be clear. But I think probably equal amounts of men and women writing cookbooks. Mm-hmm. And I think more gay men writing cookbooks than straight men. Or maybe 50-50. And women, not very many of us gay women writing cookbooks, in my opinion. There are some, um, but not that many. And again, it's I don't grill because I'm gay but and I don't write cookbooks because I'm gay but because I am both these things you know a very proud gay woman and a cookbook author it's very very important to me to bring my full self to my work and it's very much why I write about my wife as much as I do um I mean that happens very naturally because I am a home cook who writes for other home cooks as I mentioned before so I'm just writing about what I'm cooking at home grace is my home, <laughs> you know? Like, right, right. Like, so it's it's kind of just, like, obvious. But also it's, like, really important to me to use my cookbooks as a way to just continue to normalize our relationship, which at a different point in time just, you know, would not be something I could write as openly about as I do now, and I don't take that for granted, and it's really important to me, and it has become absolutely the most gratifying part of what I do. Like, I have had the privilege of going on like a few book tours and stuff and like wherever I've been in the country, whatever like event, if it's like at a bookstore or if it's like something in a museum or something, like whatever, wherever I've been, there's like always at least one young queer woman who like comes up to me and we like have this like teary conversation or she's there with her mom or with her first girlfriend or something. Like it happens everywhere and, you know, I'm not like – I feel like I've had, you know, great success with my work. I'm really grateful, but I'm not like, I'm not on TV. I'm not, you know, like I'm not famous in that kind of way. And it just feels important to me that like with the platform I have that it can get through to that many people. And I just think cookbooks are really powerful in a way we don't often realize because, you know, I am able to do the work I do in something that's like maybe not so obvious, like to do the work I do around 
kind of gay stuff in this way that's not so obvious. Like my books don't have like a pride flag on the cover. Not that there would be anything wrong with that. Um, But I think that they are welcomed in many homes and kitchens that a book with a pride flag on the cover might not be or Mm -hmm. just, you know, might not be obvious. Um, So I do feel like I get to do a lot of like, I think of it as like Trojan horsing (laughs) a lot of things. I love it. Yeah. And it's really, it's like, it's the thing I love the most about my work and the thing I'm most grateful for. And it's like, you know, as I mentioned, I've loved cookbooks my whole life. I have so many. You've seen a fraction of them. Um, I grew up looking through them. I never saw one written by a woman who was writing, you know, in so many recipes, like a little love letter to her wife, basically. <laughs> like, I That's not to say I didn't read cookbooks written by queer women when I was growing up. I'm sure I did. They just didn't tell me. And that's okay. And I understand. But I feel like I want to tell people. And I like how you do. I mean, it's just, it, you're not, well, I don't know about your previous books, but you're just like simply my wife, Grace. Yeah. And no, there's it. no big, yeah. Co- oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And you should know that we are having chicken cutlets for Grace this weekend. That is one of the bookmarked recipes. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. It's not like announcing it in any way with a disclaimer because I don't think it requires a disclaimer. Like this is right. my life. And and I think it's as worthy of talking about like, you know, many cookbook authors have talked about, you know, their husbands and so on. So so it seems like you are involved a lot with the community and giving back to the community. Can you speak a little bit more to your efforts there? Because it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I have always um, been like very active in whatever community I've lived in. And since leaving the city and um, living where we live now, Grace and I have gotten like super involved in where we live through food. Um So for us, that means we volunteer regularly at our local food pantry, and we also volunteer with an organization called Angel Food East, which is essentially like a local Meals on Wheels program. Um, And we serve like 70 clients, and we've been doing like a weekly shift for like about four, or I guess going on five years now. Um, And there's other things kind of within the community I think we both do. Um, But I think those are the things we've done most regularly. And to me, it's been really interesting because I've volunteered at many different places throughout my life, um, mostly in New York City. And I always felt like even if I made a commitment to a place, like I used to volunteer at God's Love We Deliver in New York, which is an amazing organization. Yes, They feed like thousands of people a day who are homebound. It started, you know, as a response to um, the AIDS pandemic. The work they do is super important. And I also felt when I volunteered there, like if I had to miss a shift for any reason, if I was out of town or something, like it would be fine. Like this will go on without me. Um, You know, I was a very small part of a very big thing. There's like a waiting list to volunteer there and other places. And is it a, where I live, is it a queer organization or mm-hmm. oh, yeah, okay? I mean, it was started, I believe, by two lesbians, and there's a lot of queer people who are involved in it. I don't think it's. I don't know that if they would identify as a queer organization. It's a very, but I think it is a very queer organization. I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, that's all to say, living where we live now and volunteering with smaller um, organizations because we live in a much smaller community. 
you know, it really, it's not that these things can't go on without us. They were here before us. They will, you know, continue no matter what. Um, But it really makes a difference whether you show up or not. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can't show up for one of my shifts, like, I need to find someone who can. Like, that's going to affect the people who rely on these organizations for the food. And so that has been a really amazing lesson for me, just living in a much smaller community about just what it means to show up consistently and to not overcommit and to commit to something that, you know, you can be reliable for. Like, that's really important. So, yeah, it's like a big part of our life. It's part of our, like, you know, weekly routine. Um, And it's something I just, I really, really value very much and I'm grateful to be able to do. How can our listeners maybe get involved with some food-related nonprofits? Do you know of any, like, resources that... Yeah, totally. Um, There are some, like, huge nationwide organizations doing really important work, um, mostly work around, like, policy and stuff, like things like No Kid Hungry and, um, you know, organizations like that. I think the best thing to do... Honestly, the advice I give to like everyone who ever asked me is like to Google your zip code and the word volunteer (laughs) and see (laughs) what comes up. I mean, that's how I found the places where I volunteer. And I think another really important thing to do, especially when it comes to food, especially right now as we're continuing to navigate, you know, living through this really awful pandemic is to call your local public school system and find out what is going on food wise in your community, whether or not you, you know, have a child in the school system. Like if you live in that town or city, like your tax dollars are going to it, like you're involved, whether you know it like or not. Um, Schools are where so many children get fed. So many schools have remained open, not to be, you know, to have their classrooms open, but to have their cafeterias open. Right. And basically the people who are working at the schools in the food department will know what's going on in your community probably better than anyone else. So just ask them what's going on, ask them how you can help, ask them what they need help with. And if they don't, if they've got it covered, you know, ask them if they recommend anywhere else in the community, like they they'll know probably better than anyone else. So I would start there. Great. Amazing. Anything you want listeners to know about Simply Julia? Um, I guess all I would love listeners to know about Simply Julia is that it is it is out just like I am. (laughs) (laughs) I just hadn't thought about that before. Now I'm going to say it in every interview. And... um, (laughs) And it is there for you, and I just hope it's incredibly useful. It is has it's been my favorite book I've worked on. I'm so happy with it. I'm so excited to share it. And um, there's a lot in there, and I just think that it can be really helpful for you in your kitchen. And I hope it is. Um, so yeah, I guess that's it. I don't think I have anything else to say about grilling. I feel like we talked about everything I could think of, <laughs> but I'll drop you a note if I can think of more. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Amazing. thank you so much for your time, Julia. Yes, thank yeah, you. this was really fun. Thank you for having me. And thanks for making, you know, the space for conversations like this. It's really fun, but it's also, you know, super important. So thank you. For sure. Wow. Julia is simply the zest. <laughs> oh, you think I'm going to humor you with these puns? <laughs> 
I I have outstayed my welcome with the puns. Kebab. She's great. I don't. What do you want me to say? What do you want? That's a good one. You're such a dork. (laughs) Well, sheesh kebab. (laughs) Okay, let's just get to our listener question. (laughs) Sorry. Fine. Fine. We, we won't can, have fun. No, we we'll do it. We'll pun. do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. You want me to do no, it? We just did it. We just we did just it. You're going to keep that in? Yeah. Okay. Guys, I have never hit Carolyn. <laughs> I just feel like, <laughs> <laughs> really, like I'm coming with that energy. And, okay, fine. We won't do it. Okay. This week's listener question is short and sweet. It's from a baby dyke with a religious family. And it is, what age do you suggest to come out to your parents and family? Good question. Good question. Well, it's different for everyone. Definitely. It's when it feels right for you. But that can be hard to know. Especially in a religious family. Yeah. It may feel like we're never coming up on that perfect time. Yeah, it. there are a lot of feelings when it comes to coming out. There's like a lot of sometimes excitement, like, oh, I want to come out because I don't like feeling like I'm hiding something and I want to be my authentic self and I want to come out. But then there's also a lot of anxiety around it of having to like deal with family, with ignorant questions, with maybe, uh, you know, some more extreme things like getting in in trouble for your sexuality, depending on how young you are. I mean, I've had an ex who was kicked out of the house when they came out and they were were still in high school. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be pretty serious. And because of that, especially if you have a religious family, I would say don't come out until you need to. I was going to say for your safety, you have to have that (laughs) In consideration, too, we have a lot of campaigns urging people to come out, do it, do it fast, do it loud and proud. But we don't really take the time to consider that it's just not safe for a lot of people. And it's not the right time. You, If you're right. in a I don't know if this person what their situation is with their religious family. But if I were in that position, just on that alone, that my family was really religious. I probably wouldn't come out until I was out of the house. Yeah, same. I definitely would not have come out to my parents, even though uh, I did have girlfriends. I would have kept it hidden had they been religious or intolerant until I went off to college for sure. And, And I think it just depends on what is most important to you because there are definitely situations where it is worth the the risk of being kicked out. If you're really feeling like super uh, oppressed in your home and you can come up with some type of plan for like a safe place to be or friends or extended family who will take you in and you can arrange for that. If you're, if you're younger then um, by all means. And if like not being out is even like more stressful and traumatic for you. You know, you want to, I always think when coming out, just like reduce the trauma. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like some people wait until they're in a same sex relationship, uh, but you obviously don't have to, you know, there are some queer people who are never in a same sex relationship for various reasons. Me. And yeah. I didn't come out to my parents <laughs> until I was <Yeah>. finally <laughs> in one. <laughs> like, 
you can possibly, depending on who's in your network, come out to people who who aren't your family. Uh, I know that I came out to certain friends of mine. You just have to be very aware that when you tell one person, especially when you're younger, especially in high school, uh, that it will probably never stay between you and that other person. People mm. like to gossip. Yeah. That's big news that will go around. But um, And then if you're older... You know, some people might be wondering, even though a baby dyke asked this, some older people might be wondering. You could be a baby dyke at any age. So at any age, I don't know yeah, if this person even true. lives with their parents. I don't I think it's that's not true. what age should you come out? It's like at what point in your life or in like your, you your know, journey. Yeah. <laughs> your yeah. personal journey. At what point yeah. in that? Like, do you have a support system that, you know, you can rely on outside of your family yet? You know, do you have somewhere you can stay if you are living with your parents? Just how is it going to affect your life? And on the flip side, you know, sometimes being out in a religious family is the kind of thing that does change minds and change changes hearts that they might realize once it hits home that maybe this isn't something that they actually think is like terrible and horrible and that you're the same person. Uh, you know, that's a best case scenario, but it happens. So yeah, you have to just evaluate it uh, for yourself and there really is no right. You'll just know when the right time is. You know, you might come home drunk from a party when you're 20 and crawl into your mom's bed crying and just blubber it out. Mm. And no one will talk about it for 10 years, actually, after that. And you could kind of have to do it quickly over the phone. That's a really good abstract example, <laughs> Melody. Very abstract. It just, it, there's so many different ways it could happen and over just crazy timelines. <laughs> So please submit your questions. We got a bunch of new questions this week, but uh, keep them coming. We want more. So diking out at gmail.com. Send them there. That will be your best chance of getting it answered. If you're a patron, we'll put your question to the top of the list. Oh, speaking of patrons, I did find this email of somebody who wanted to uh, have a small PSA from us, and I'm going to indulge it. And it's that uh, a lot of couples in quarantine are uh, adopting animals. And, you know, maybe try fostering first because a lot of these shelters are experiencing people who are adopting dogs who weren't really ready for it or couples who, like, split up because of the pandemic, whatever, and are having to surrender dogs. And mm -hmm. it's... You know, fostering is always an option. And we just want to remind people because we know that uh, queer people love their fur friends, their fur babies. Absolutely. And actually, Cecilia is like desperate to have a pet right now. And I keep putting the kibosh on it and telling her to either foster or rescue a smaller animal. So she's looking into uh, rescuing a hamster right now. Oh my God. Because the hamster industry, it's actually like, like do not buy from pet stores. Is the hamster industry? Yeah. yeah. Stay tuned not, for that diking gonna... off topic. Right. <laughs> so, if you want to maybe see, do we get a hamster? Do we? Don't we? It's a cliffhanger. Uh, you can follow me at TGI Carolyn on Instagram and on Twitter. You can follow me at Melody Kamali on all social platforms. And you can follow us at Diking Out Everywhere and at Diking Out Podcast on 
um, on TikTok, even though I keep saying at Diking Out Pod. Every once in a while, I go back on TikTok and remember we're at Diking Out Podcast. We are, aren't we? There. Yes. So follow us. And what do you say? We'll see you next Tuesday. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, the podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. I bring you two episodes a week. Every Monday, I cover something from a wide variety of topics, covering everything from feminist faves throughout history like Audre Lorde, listener coming out stories, and other hot-button topics like toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement, as well as plenty feminist history, the good and the controversial. And then every Friday, I bring you a mini What's in the News episode to keep you up to date with everything that's going on today in the world. And with over 580 episodes available to you right now, there's plenty of good stuff to listen to. You can listen to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rage on. Bye.